All right. But I can't close Steam because I have a daily run going and it's going very well. Wait, is that uh that locks you out of being able to close Steam? That's I can't close Slay the Spire. Yeah. No, I mean like I, I didn't know that if you have a if you have had daily run you can't save. Yeah, daily runs can't save. Okay. Very sad. Wow, this this podcast is going to be uh appropriately slay the spire oriented uh, but i am going to minimize it fantastic um so here we are it's april the 30th be with you um and it's a big week for everyone for for literally everyone and why is it a big week for everyone because it's a big week for us and so it's a big week for you wait i know why it's a big week for us i i know I know, I know how this is. How is I've this? I've unlocked the truth. I've unlocked the reality. How, how is this? Please tell me. This is WTDG Podcast for the week of May the 4th be with you. Well, well what, what do you mean? It's not May the 4th be with you. It's not, but it's the week of. So, May the, yeah, we're going to miss May the 4th. When is May the 4th? Friday. God damn it. I worked that day. We will miss it. May the fourth be with you, everyone. May the fourth be with you, everyone. Here it is. And we waited. First, a, we waited third, a year for this. It's it's, it's appropriate for once. You know, this podcast will probably come out on May the fourth be with you, though, right? So, let me ask you: Is that what you were ramping up to, or did you actually have something different to say? Um, what I kind of wanted to do, to be honest, was uh, to not observe to for the one week of the year that was May the 4th. I wanted to not observe it. The the regular observance. Sorry, are you saying that you think that you've never missed it in the past? I've never what do you mean that I've never missed May the 4th be with you on uh on the podcast or in real life? That you've in- never missed like say, that declaration at the start of a cast? Well, I'm saying I'm well so well sure this you've hit it every time. Well, well this this year we began last year uh, after May the 4th we began to as a unit as a podcast unit we began to observe May the 4th be with you but we observed every day as a day that could be with you. And I think that there was something strong there's something unifying about that. It's beautiful. And that's you know, that was my my goal, and then now it's May the 4th, finally, and this week, and uh, I wanted to not observe it. I wanted to hold back. And yet here it is, me coming in and ruining your plans. So that's that. So that's that. Thanks, Ryan. Um, but we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. Plenty of stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, non-sports so. related for once. As another, another ongoing podcast lore bit of podcast lore uh so big week this week you know i was on vacation yes i i need to hear about that i need to hear about uh the magical wonderland of la that i've been to before and didn't like but i'm sure you had i didn't like it no i did not like it i did not enjoy la yo fuck la we don't love it some of the food in la what i had i had some really 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 good food Okay. And that's about it. That's everything I enjoyed. I mean, the the I, I okay. <sighs> let me let me break this out because I did uh, a couple of years ago. I went to with the fam. We visited uh, NorCal first, starting in San Francisco, 
uh, hitting up, you know, Napa Sonoma. And then we, we, we took a rented car, uh, down, drove past a couple different places. We went to Monterey. We went to a few different like locales and sites. And then when we went and, and we eventually ended up, uh, the trip in LA and we, we left out of LAX. Um, I hated LA. Uh, for for a couple different reasons, uh, I had some decent food. I had some not, decent is not a good word. I had some fantastic food in L.A. for sure. Um, the the L.A. itself, uh, not a pretty looking city, um, uh, especially no. even if you've been to New York. Which New York like like it's weird that New York is like it, it's got tinier sidewalks, it's dirtier, but the city itself is like more active, more interesting. L.A. to me was like wider sidewalks but no one's on them but most of it is like every bridge has like someone's 40 on. bums pissing in it pissing someone's underneath on it them. uh so the homeless problem in la is really out of hand uh and apparently it's getting worse all the time uh what i, I and you know i did a little bit of research into this after the trip it turns out that new york has a higher per capita uh, amount of homeless. However, only 4% of them live on the streets. Uh, whereas in LA, 75% of the homeless live on the streets. We love LA. They don't really take care of their, their people out there. But from what I've read is that that is also because a lot of other states send their homeless to LA uh, so that they, uh, Essentially, because the weather is better out send there. Send their homeless. Uh, is that really survival. what you're? Is is that they send yes, them or that or is the real thing? They give them a one way ticket to California. That's effed up, dude. That's messed up. That's one of the most horrific things I've heard in government. That that it's like that they can literally do that. The government can have a program that's like dump all their waste into another uh, city without them even saying anything. Like, wouldn't you think that the L.A government would have a huge problem with that like are literally other cities dump their homeless onto us because we have consistently good weather but yes that's i mean that's what i'd heard like okay weather because like, my weather there like i was going there expecting like a uh you know to escape the dredges of of new york spring uh with something a bit warmer and it wasn't even that warm it wasn't beach weather i'll tell you that um another thing i liked about la and I put like in uh, snare quotes is uh, uh, whenever I went to restaurants, especially like sit down restaurants, I felt like the waiters and waitresses were all very like in your face quirky. Um, they like the the generic L.A. concept of that. Th there's two people who are in L.A. And this is what I really hate about it when it gets down to it. People that are trying to, quote unquote, make it. And then people who are homeless. So if they're not homeless, they're basically trying to be stars. So they, the, the people who aren't homeless are like obnoxiously quirky and fun and like in your face about their personality, like as if every single person is like looking out to, you know, uh, do movie casting. And it's so uncomfortable because it's like, it's like, I get it, you all have a dream, and like 0.1001% of you will be able to achieve that dream, and then all the other people are homeless. Two shitty breeds of people at the same time. Garbage town. Garbage you're not city. shitty because you're homeless. 
you're not well you're not shitty because you're homeless oftentimes homeless people people have mental illnesses that are not being taken care of you're fair enough on that the shittier people are the people who are not homeless and are trying desperately to make it by like working in a you know sit down food restaurant and giving you their headshots when you they come to the table like dog i can't do anything with that like like this literally happened to me i when when we sat down at restaurants when we went on tours when we did stuff i always got like headshots and all this stuff from the people and like their acting credits and stuff like that like what are you doing this is really that happened, never to, me. happened this, to me that didn't happen to you nope that's okay well I, I i i don't know I, I did have that experience, legitimately had that experience where I would go to a restaurant and get headshots, like, literally, like, here's the menu, and also, here are my acting credits. I was in uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 6, an off-Broadway musical, and uh, here's some headshots to go along with it in case you're, you know, scoping, and it's like, dog, I'm not scoping, look at me, I'm with my family. Does it look like I'm scoping? What was the best food you had out there? Um, In the... There is a section of LA that you might have been to. There's that like, uh, it, it is a, it's in a building and it's like a giant, massive, like food court kind of thing where there's all these shops and there's all these stands, but they're all in a building. It's like this open space basically where people, I guess, rent yeah. these okay. areas. Uh, um, th- that is, is where that Egg Slut is. Um, but I'm not talking about Egg Slut. There was a barbecue place okay. there and I've had good barbecue because I've, been to the south plenty of times um specifically texas uh man that was some good barbecue some some nasty barbecue was it nasty or was it or was it good i mean good barbecue is nasty good barbecue makes you feel awful because you get a ton of food and then on top of the ton of food you're getting to make you feel sick enough as it is you get a ton of sides like good barbecue is you get a half chicken or like a pound or like a rack of ribs or a pound of uh pulled pork on a sandwich and then on this and then next to that adjacent to that is a another pound of uh sweet potato casserole and another pound of fries and another pound of collard greens and another pound of mac and cheese and at the end of it you feel like dying um, but there's sometimes you need to feel like dying as, as a poly geist or whatever says, uh, the best food that I had in LA was, we love it. So it's, a, so it's a bit of a story because, uh, the way that I always find new food is I look at where I am on a Google map and then I just look at food nearby that has good ratings. And then I just say, I want to go there. And that's, that's pretty much what I've always done. Like that's a story I always right there. just. I just choose everything out of Google reviews. But I ended up at this really, really beautiful French restaurant at uh, 8.30 in the morning. And I was initially surprised by it because uh, there's no wait service. Uh, essentially, you wait in line. Uh, they take your order, and then you go sit down. After you sit down, they bring your food to you. Uh, so what I ordered was I ordered a traditional breakfast, uh, which was just, you know, bacon, eggs, jam and toast and and butter and uh, potatoes. So I order it. I order a uh, a Chemex pour over of single origin Ethiopia. Alyssa orders her food. We sit down and the place is actually like amazing. It's this like, it looks like a castle essentially. Uh, We sat in this sort of giant room that like has 
the whole ceiling is all glass. So it's just like sunlight cascading down into this massive room. Uh, there's like this glass case full of like drying meats. Uh, the entire shelves are just filled with with jars of spice that are all marked. And then to the right, there's uh, the kitchen and uh, like tons of people working, like a surprising amount of people working at like 8.30 in the morning. Our food comes out like five minutes after we order it. And I kid you not, it was probably a top three or top five meal for me. Uh, that is meaningful coming from you. So it blew me away. And then I was like, all right, so this place is clearly a bit more popular than I thought it was going to be. It's, it clearly has more going on. It's a lot better than I expected. So what is this place? I looked at their Instagram account, and they had like over 60,000 followers, including like David Chang and Wolfgang Puck. So I was like, holy shit. Uh, later that night, I was watching an episode of Chef's Table. Are you familiar with Chef's Table? No. Uh, so for the uninitiated, it's a Netflix documentary series uh, where they follow around. Essentially, they, they get the story the, of, a, uh, of a famous or very important chef. Uh, and the one that they were focusing on was a Los Angeles chef named Nancy Silverton. Nancy Silverton is uh, somewhat responsible for uh, California-style pizza and the way that it is. Uh, essentially, she's a, a bread aficionado, but she got her start as a pastry chef, uh, and she was in one of Wolfgang Puck's first restaurants as the pastry chef. Her husband worked there as the sous chef. They opened a, a, uh, a, sorry, a restaurant in Los Angeles called Campanile, and as soon as they showed pictures of Campanile, I immediately recognized the building because the building that Campanile was in is now where Republic is. And that was just a crazy coincidence that I happened to see that. That was the best thing that happened on my vacation. Uh, I really wanted to go back to Republic but because the food was so good. But at the same time, I felt kind of weird because I also wanted to, you know, see as many different restaurants as I could. So it felt kind of weird trying to repeat a restaurant. Does that make sense? Yeah. But at the same time, I wish I did because I did not have a meal better than that one. But I got to say that the second best meal I had was just a small hole in the wall taco place uh, the very first night where I had like the best refried beans of my life. Um, you I've been waiting to interject. Uh, you've said this entire thing. And correct me if I'm wrong. You you're talking up this meal and you have not yet said what it was. You just said it was like a French breakfasty place. Republic. But what? what no, not the That's name. That's what it's called. What did you eat? That's the important thing. I ate the. I did say it. It's called regular breakfast. What the that fuck is, is the regular item breakfast on the menu? It is. It is eggs, bacon. It's. It's essentially what breakfast always is, which is two eggs, any style, uh, some sort of potato, some sort of toast. And some sort of meat. That's that's a traditional regular breakfast. And it was that good. Wow. What okay. eggs did you get? Yeah. I got scrambled eggs. So the potatoes were the most impressive part. The potatoes were just excellent in a way that is hard to describe. Because how do you talk up potatoes? But they were amazing. It, it's 
it's very difficult for me to explain how amazing these potatoes were. Uh, it was a French baguette, which was served as toast uh, with French butter. And, and just this combination was, was just amazing. The bacon was about a half inch thick. Uh, and I also posted a picture of this breakfast on my story on Instagram, which does not help any viewers. And it doesn't even help you because you can't go back to that story. But I'll be sure to send you, you know what, I'll just make the, uh, pic the picture of this breakfast, the uh, image for the podcast so that everyone can see how beautiful it was. Okay. But other than that, I actually got sick the second day I was in L.A., and then I just had a cold for the rest of the vacation. Uh, that's fine, uh, because by the end of it, I was sick of L.A. Uh, <laughs> it really made that's me what appreciate... The cold was. It made me appreciate uh, living in New York so much, and it made me appreciate not driving a lot and not having to worry about parking a car. Parking in L.A. sucks. Really oh, yeah, bad. worse than, in LA, than New York now. The only thing worse than parking in L.A. is driving in L.A. And it's weird because everywhere charges you for parking and everywhere is valet parking. Okay. Yeah, so well, that, that makes sense. Vacation. So, because then the valets at least can give you their headshots. While I was there, I played Xenoblade Chronicles quite a bit, though. Oh Christ Almighty! Okay, but I'm sure you don't want to hear about. No, it. I, I no, uh, I do want to hear it. I actually do want to hear about it. I think that game is pretty damn good. Once you get, it takes a while to get good. So, the thing is, Xenoblade Chronicles is a game that when you start playing it, it doesn't feel like you're actually doing anything. The combat seems extremely simple, and for a long time, it actually is. Essentially, uh, and also, I kind of do dig the story. But can can you maybe tell me how far in the game you got? Um, I was at. Um, okay, so I, uh, I'll preface this before you say things. I respect your opinion. If you think it was good, or you think it's getting good, respectable. Josh J Smooth Mac, uh, the Big Mac. Uh, likes it, and uh, I don't think that it's totally impossible to like it. Uh, I got to that one city where you start kind of doing quests and learning about that. Um, what turned me off was that the organization of the quests and, like, the really poor menu and poor, um, like, directional kind oh, of stuff yeah. is, like, yeah, yeah, sure. it, is, it is truly, like, it is... Maybe less than PS2 era of directional directing you to do quests. So I had this big ass quest log of like you need to f you need to find and kill this thing, but then it shows you on the map kind of where it is, but it doesn't really do a good job of that. It doesn't seem to be near what the thing is. It doesn't take into account um, tiered uh, the the map having different verticality. So it it can it never it can never show you if something. If something is in a building and there's multiple stories, then it can't show you. It does. Okay, well, I it, had huge it, problems. It's obscure. It's obscure, but there is a uh, a arrow above or below uh, the marker on the map. Uh, but I don't know how you feel about the combat, but I do want to talk a little bit about it. Um, so the combat is essentially you are a character called a driver. Drivers are... Uh, 
these these figures who can wield ancient weapons known as blades. Blades are, for all intents and purposes, uh, bipedal Pokemon, for for lack of a better term, where like uh, you are controlling your blades abilities. Essentially, you are doing attacks, and the attacks are channeled through your blade. So you will have a blade that is a sword, and they will give you sword abilities. But uh, the game starts getting good when you get multiple blades because then you have uh, sort of weapons to switch between. Uh, so you're really toggling like the different cooldowns and uh, you're working off of different blades elements. So if you have one blade that's fire and one blade that's water, for example, uh, that you, you can use like a fire-based skill, follow it up with a water-based skill, and then you're creating like steam. And then you're creating like steam and that has a different effect. Uh, so it's cool to juggle all of these things. Another thing that's interesting is the idea of stutter stepping. I don't know if this is something that maybe you immediately figured out about the combat, but uh, the combat, if you're stint, essentially it's similar to if you're familiar with Final Fantasy XII, there is a sort of, of a, attacks happen automatically when you're near enemies. Your character will do a three hit combo where they go one, two, three. But if you cancel an attack with a stutter step, you can actually attack quicker. And if you stutter step, you can also increase your ability to charge your special meter faster. However, if you complete a three-hit combo and then you activate an ability, it actually makes the ability do more damage. So there's a bit of trade-off and understanding of like, when do I need to do burst damage? When do I want to do consistent damage? How do I want to juggle my different abilities? So the combat actually ends up getting pretty robust in some cool ways. Okay. Um, that that does sound more appealing. I'm, I'm sure you've even gotten further than me in that time. Um, I mean, one of my big tr- turnoffs was just, you know, the characters, the acting, the, you know... I like thought I, it's... I, think I hate it's that right. main guy. I, 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 the main guy is a very, like, lawful, good, uh, straight and narrow main character but i do like uh some of the supporting cast i'm not a big fan of the primary blade but i do like uh the ancient that each that he uh or whatever they're called that he hangs around with and some of the uh different characters that you meet i mean good refreshing to have you know an alternate take i certainly didn't like it but it's a good thing to have when you are on a plane I guess so, you know, like if I, I feel like if I was on, if I was like stuck in a situation where I had to keep playing it and maybe like powered through some of the worst parts of it, but I always hate that, you know, like I hate that very concept of like, oh, it starts out slow, but you get to this one point and it's better. And it's like, I play so many things that are just good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, and speaking of things that are immediately good and always good, Slay the Spire's third character. Christ almighty. Uh, got into beta this week okay i'm very excited to talk about this we talk we mentioned slay the, slay the spire so often the, I, I i wanted to preface this because i knew this would come up i i, I want to talk to you about this a little bit i i recently had this thought why why is Splay is slay the spire a game that is stuck in our craw why what you know any other game it comes out and, it, and, it, and it's not I a what I could tell you exactly why for me. Okay, but I, I, I think I, I have my own answer for this. But 
But Slay the Spire is, if anyone who's listened to this podcast, I am shocked if you haven't heard of this name. Slay the Spire is a Dominion-style card-building roguelike. Um, why? I, I just have to ask, and I, it's been very interesting to me, like, there are many roguelikes. You yourself have played roguelikes for a long time. You sometimes get caught on a roguelike for a little bit, but it's been months. And it's this it's this game that's been out, and we mention it every single week, and you, Sean, and I are playing it. Um, why? What What makes Slay the Spire a... What, what, it, Slay the Spire isn't even a multiplayer game. Why is it a single-player game that we keep coming back to? I think it's really fascinating, because I, I just don't see this happening. It's fast, it's fun, it's Slay the Spire. Terrible answer, I accept it. Uh, but really, hmm. I mean, I love deck builders. Like I love deck builders too. Like I just bought another deck builder game for my collection at home. Uh, the game also is consumable and fast in a way that other games are not. Name it. Uh, any of them. I mean, what is no? A game name the one you that... just bought. Oh, Space Base. But oh. we'll talk about that later. Uh, I'll I will not spend that much time talking about. It. I'll just interject. I bought Blood Rage. Blood Rage. All right. Well, I do you know anything about Blood Rage? About I know nothing about it. I guess I'll hear about it someday. Oh, I hope to play with you. Um, uh, real quick. Uh, one of the top like ten board games on Board Game Geek. Uh, it is a Viking themed deck building game where you and I believe two to four players compete over a landmass um, and uh, do deck building uh, where you're building up your basically uh, race of warriors uh, through a deck building concept where you are passing around a communal deck and taking cards from it, denying other players those cards, and slowly building a strategy. Um, it is not a legacy game. You play it. Uh, it is, I believe, 40 to 60 minutes, or maybe 60 to 90. Um, and uh, I really wanted to play it out. Uh, very hot. Uh, it is a, a post-Kickstarter game. Uh, lots of hot-ass miniatures. Um, is it stupid expensive or normal expensive? It is on sale expensive and that is it is base price 75 and i got it on amazon for 45 Ooh, that's a pretty good deal that All is right, a pretty but decent deal spire. what but slay the spire but slay the spire yeah uh i don't have any metrics to talk about blood rage yet um i mean what, what where I, I i weirdly enough i don't disagree with you there is something like fast visceral interesting and forever uh random about slay aspire slay aspire does random right for me like it, it does random in a way that you never feel effed like i never feel like i just ran a run that couldn't have gone well more often than not i feel like i it, it is more about about you know synergizing being intelligent with the options that you have you get random options they're all decent in a different way and you're trying to figure out what's the best instead of trying to like pigeon your hole yourself before you even really get the options into one or another build um the whole power the relics and everything uh the different bosses the different encounters the different events every single time is a different scenario so i get really hyped on the concept of like getting excited about i really want to play a shiv deck um but then you start a game and it's really not working out the way that it might be perfectly 
Um, and instead I always kind of like, you know, gravitate to what the game is giving me, but it makes me want to play another round because I think I see these cards and I see how they could be strong in a combo. And then I end up, you know, wanting to play that next round, but, uh, hoping that maybe I can play in a certain way. Um, fantastic game. Uh, but, uh, they did release the third character. This has been something that I've been really excited about for a long time because, uh, the characters have their own individual decks, and uh, the decks uh, themselves have are, are are I I think that Slay the Spire. Uh, since the moment I played it, I think the balance is out of control, like amazing, like brilliantly designed, and I uh, have been really excited to get another character. Uh, because I feel like the two characters we had, the Silent and the Ironclad, both had a lot of interesting synergistic decks, some that uh, I didn't even really think of that that much. And then, you know, you said you would win with a deck and I can't do it and stuff like that. So I was really excited to have this other third character thrown into the mix. And despite all my excitement, I, I think that finally getting to play it on the beta branch um, any amount of excitement I, I had for it has been completely, like, non-hyperbolically, it has been uh, just floored by the creativity that went into this character, the mechanics that went into this character. This character is, at a core level, so far different than the last two um, that it's never, you're you're playing a whole different game, I feel like. Sure. Yeah, I buy it. Uh, so this character is, I mean, sort of like the invoker, right? Or I, I still think that this character is most easily understood as a summoner. I, I mean, I, I think of it as the invoker in Dota, as the Kel'thas in Hots. It is uh, like, I see what you mean by summoner, but it's not real. Like when I think of summoner, I think of like summoning you know, alternate characters to take hits for you, to do attacks for you. Um, and it's not really that because it's all passive. Uh, the main conceit about this character is, is it called the defect? Yes. So it is, it is a def defective robot. And the uh, kind of flavor around it is that as you're building a deck, you are um, kind of undoing or like adding to and upgrading its uh, defects. And, uh, you know, further, like, personalizing this robot, um, the robot starts with, uh, so, at a very core level, um, the, the starting relic, uh, I believe called the Cracked Orb, gives you a lightning orb in the beginning of every round. The, uh, character has three open orb slots in the beginning, um, without any, you know, additional effects or anything. And it starts out with this lightning orb and the lightning and all the orbs that the character has, the different elemental orbs have a passive effect and have that, that typically, uh, hits at the end of their turn. Um, and then they have an evoking, like an active effect where by playing cards, you can evoke an orb for a burst style attack of whatever that orb is supposed to be. Um, so the initial orb that you start with, the cracked orb, uh, the initial relic you start with gives you a lightning orb at the start of every combat. A lightning orb is deals three damage randomly to an enemy at the end of your turn, or when evoked, it does uh, six damage? 
Eight damage? Eight damage. Well, well, I was also... I mean, you're thinking of the uh, evoking thing that automatically... That does the double. So okay, maybe it does yeah. four damage. No, it definitely doesn't do four. That's too low. I think it does eight. Okay. Or six. But it does more damage. We don't need to be precise about this. Okay. So the, the main point is that... Um, you have these orb slots open, you are playing cards that have multiple effects, uh, whether or not they deal damage, draw cards, do stuff like that, and then they uh, will also give you orbs that have these uh, different passive effects that trigger at the end of your phase um, and active effects that trigger when the... Uh, when. So if you if your uh, orbs are maxed out, if you have three out of three orbs and then you try to gain a new orb, then it will push all the orbs forward and evoke the the uh, most you know what's the best terminology for this? Like the oldest orb um, will get its uh, active effect evoked, and it'll do a a big kind of bursty thing. Like frost orbs, for example, give you two armor at the end of your turn. Uh, but when evoked, they give you five armor. Um, I have seen uh, a couple different orbs. There's a dark orb that uh, doesn't do anything passively. Uh, it just increases the damage of its active every turn, and its a- and its active is does six damage to uh, the lowest target or the lowest enemy. Lowest HP target. Yeah. And, and then it uh, every turn that it's in your orb slots, not being evoked, it goes up by six. Uh, I, I mean, like, I, I think we always get into, uh, uh, but like the kind of like nitty gritty of stuff we get into the behind the baseball, but, um, uh, stuff they don't need to know. Yeah. But I guess the main thing is that it's a more complex character that functions so differently than anything else, because it's really about like managing orbs. And then the, I, I, and then I think like the, the thing I'm excited about is that I have seen like no shortage of builds for this character with the amount of cards they have i i feel like there's tons of builds in different directions to take this character whether it's not whether it is like different elements orbs or the same element of orbs like just you know going a frost orb kind of build uh to going power builds there's all these uh passive powers that you can uh, paid money to use you pay the energy to spend on a card that gives you a passive power um, that's another really strong thing for this character uh, there's defensive offensive builds stuff like that um, there's a lot going on in this character uh, you know one thing that's weird about Slay the Spire is I actually never really played the silent I always just played the ironclad I, I, I don't know that I've done more than one run as the silent so Silent is my really favorite str- picture. It was really strange for me to go from playing uh, just the Ironclad and thinking about that as the whole game to then playing the Defect and sort of seeing the full scope of, and not even the full scope, but rather just an alternative to the ways uh, that Slay the Spire could operate. And seeing the Defect... Uh, really has opened me up to the idea of just, I want more characters as DLC. And I think that they could add just character DLC, and that would be enough to sustain this game uh, for a very, very long time. Yeah, uh, I mean, waiting for this character, like I said earlier, I was waiting for it because 
uh, a, a, a new character adds a lot uh, in this game. It, it adds a, a real lot, like a another hundred hundred plus hours worth infinitely, basically, where uh, there's so many different builds and your mind races at the concept of these builds, and yet you're not always going to get the luck to be able to pull off something, so you're kind of trying to see what the best thing you can do with what you're being given is. And because of that, like it constantly forces you into different builds that you might not be comfortable with. And, uh, you know, adding a new character adds so much new, so many new concepts to it. And I, I agree with you, like seeing this character makes me realize firstly that like the silent and the ironclad are fantastic. And I, I mostly ended up playing the silent. Um, but the amount of directions that they could go with this game are like astounding. Cause uh, the, the silent and the ironclad already had hundreds of hours worth of gameplay in them. And then to throw another character on that is like, it's just insane. It's, it's been hard not to, uh, I play at least a couple of rounds of slay the spire a week. And, uh, this has made me the the release of this character on the beta branch has made me go back to playing the spire with like every moment of free time. Like I used to the first like two weeks that I had originally purchased it. I feel you. Yeah. Because also I am sort of, I would only play Slay the Spire when I was sort of in between things when I'm like waiting for a round of Fortnite to start, uh, when there's a slow moment at work and I just remote PC to home and play Slay the Spire. But now I find myself playing Slay the Spire, uh, in moments where I would usually be playing another game and focusing all my attention on Slay the Spire. And it's also, I, I've been really into the daily challenges. Do you play those at all? I have not. D- despite the amount of time I put into Slay the Spire, I have not. You know, I know some people who only play daily challenges, who don't even really touch the regular game, who just like the craziness of those daily challenges. What is so uh, crazy about them, Mason? So today's daily challenge, for example, makes it so that your deck it starts with five colorless cards. And when you kill an enemy, instead of dropping a card, they drop a relic. So you're just getting relics the whole time. And every time that you do uh, kill an elite, uh, it instead gives you a card. But that card, it will give you three of when you choose it. So it allows you to make these extremely as powerful as we're done. decks that you could never naturally play. I'm I'm glad to have Slay the Spire in my repertoire. I think that it's something that I will always feel happy about playing. And unlike other card games, it's not asking me for additional money, which is good. Yeah, uh, Megacrit has done a fantastic job. Oh my god. They have a weekly update on Thursday where they always release uh, a new patch that has uh, usually like bug fixes and balance changes along with hints at larger future patches. Uh, Sometimes they add whole cards that change everything. And sometimes they change balances or add new change the balance or add completely new game modes. For example, uh, daily challenges did not exist when we originally started playing Slay the Spire. Um, And in this case, they added a whole new character on the beta branch. Uh, So they have been, uh, feverishly upkeeping that one game, despite never asking for a uh, subscription or anything. Like, they're just still adding stuff every Thursday. This is early access 
the way that it should be. Yeah, it, it really is early access the way that it should be. It's early access the way that it should be because, uh, you know, I had that whole thing going on with uh, Darkest Dungeon turned me away from early access, seeing how good a game could be in early access, but not being, uh, you know, getting sick of it in early access, then getting some unique, interesting things afterwards, but the game itself not feeling uh, new enough to go back to. Uh, so the game was incomplete good at the time, would have been better if I waited, so I ended up waiting, you know, the year to play uh, Dead Cells, which is now kind of in a place that uh, it's worth, you know, devoting hundreds of hours to, but Slay the Spire is a game that uh, I, I, I immediately realized would be worth playing in early access because it was as fun as it was then, and it was only going to get more fun, and it was only going to get more options over time, and they have uh, totally capitalized on the very concept of early access, uh, could not have you been know, a better purchase. My other all-the-time game is really becoming Fortnite. I still continue to play Fortnite uh, just about every day, and I actually think that I'm getting pretty good at it. I've actually been pra- like uh, doing some different aim practice exercises, and I just feel really good about that game. Uh, today is the last day of the season. So, like, there's going to be, like, a massive shakeup. Uh, I don't know if you follow this game at all, but Season 3 was all this space theme. They've started to hint or really just tell people that the theme for Season 4 is going to be superheroes. I want to see how that affects the map. I want to see how that affects the weapons that release. I'm just, I'm really happy with the way that that game is being supported. I'm glad to hear that. It's it's exciting to have a well-supported game. Yeah, and it's the kind of game where the only way that they're getting money is through aesthetic stuff, and I think that that's really cool. So that's the summation of what I've been playing. I'm, I'm also still playing Nino Kuni, actually. That game is a really awesome, really wholesome uh, JRPG and also sort of a city builder. It has this idling element to it where when you're off doing quests... Uh, your kingdom is slowly gaining power and slowly gaining money, slowly gaining resources. So essentially, in between missions, you return to your kingdom and you spend your money and resources uh, upgrading your gear, upgrading your kingdom further. And, and the side quests that you do throughout the game unlock additional workers for that kingdom. So it, the gameplay loop in that game, it, it's its really nice. It's just smooth. Uh it is a pretty easy game. It's pretty simple in terms of combat, but the story is decent enough and the uh, systems of the game are, are good enough and solid enough that it's worth playing. Wow, what was the name of that? Nino Kuni 2. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Kingdom. Oh, and I've been playing Spy Party uh, a lot. I've also been spectating a lot of Spy Party because the game has a really good spectate feature. Um <laughs> So I think I've discussed this game a little bit in the past, uh, but essentially Spy Party is a one versus one game where one person is a spy in a party of NPCs and one person is a sniper looking in on the party. The sniper has one bullet to shoot the NPC that they think is actually the player character. In the spectate mode, you can actually play as the sniper while and, and essentially guess who the spy is while the actual player is doing the same thing. So, so you can essentially try to shoot the spy and see if you can guess right. So the spectate feature is 
awesome. It's maybe the best spectate feature I've ever seen in any game. And I think that uh, this game has a lot of potential on Twitch because, you know, I don't know if you've uh, noticed how Twitch is doing like a lot of overlays for games where, for example, if you're spectating Hearthstone, you can hover over the cards and see uh, what the cards actually do. Mm-hmm. Something like that would be really cool in Spy Party where maybe you could try to shoot somebody in, in a game of on Twitch that you're watching and see if you actually guessed correctly who the spy is. I really like you that you're basically play. just playing the game as you spectate. You should, absolutely. You should play Spy Party, Ryan. I should. You have a copy of Spy Party waiting for you right now on Steam. I, I just got an email about that. Thank you very much. Kirby, what are you playing these days? Are you playing Dragon Ball Fighters? Uh, I was, I, I have, of course I'm playing Dragon Ball Fighters. And uh, quickly, since you're talking about, you know, well-updated or like well-supported games, it's not as well-supported as Fortnite. I can't claim that. Um, but very in love with that game still. Uh, it's, you know, in my rotation of games that I play basically every week. Um, and the trailers for uh, Zamasu... And what about that blue Vegito? Blue Vegito. Oh my god. I thought those were unbelievable trailers. Uh Zamasu will be the first character to have a fly option. Um we don't know yet how that works. Uh I'm hoping that it's like a Magneto style uh you can do a fly on fly. Um but we don't know yet that that yet. But a uh, very interesting character otherwise. Uh and Vegito just looks incredible. Uh I was ready to hate that character. Um, you know, we have enough Vegetas and Gokus and Saiyans and, uh, but I I feel like they, uh, did the most with this character. Um, I, I do like the, uh, blue Saiyans, the Super Saiyan God Super Saiyans. Um, but the characters that are in the game, the, the, the two Super Saiyan God Super Saiyans that are in the game, uh, Vegeta Blue and Goku Blue are way too samey to their original kits. Like, they have the same normals, they have slightly different abilities, and probably the thing that is the worst about them is that instead of having, like, like you know, regular Super Saiyan Goku or Super Saiyan Vegeta both have uh, uh, interesting synergistic kits that make sense why they would have those options. And then with the blue Saiyans, it's like they took their kit took that character, slightly changed it, and then threw all this weird stuff at the wall, and some of the stuff that the blue characters have works, and some of it doesn't, um, but at the end of the day, I don't think that they're that interesting or unique. Uh, whereas Vegito feels like, you know, visceral, impactful, like, uh, nasty, like, big, big, meaty hits, all those words. Um, crazy big stuff, media. crazy Dragon Ball stuff, like, being able to like do a super attack and like you know like charge their fist up and slam you into the ground and there's like a hit stop animation and they like punch you directly at the ground um the uh he has a final kamehameha which is the combination of vegeta's final flash and goku's kamehameha wave um and uh, all this other cool stuff that is from the uh comics and from the show uh like these russian dance kicks where he crosses his arms and then does like a multi-hit kick almost effectively like yamcha's uh rekas 
so, uh, so really interested for that character. Um, I was I thought that Zamasu was going to be way more interesting than uh, Vegito, but maybe Vegito is more interesting to me. Um, so very excited to hear when those characters are coming out. And then there was also uh, talk of a massive balance patch coming alongside these characters that would not only affect more than half the cast, but it would also change the uh, different... Uh, tweak different system mechanics. Uh, all the system mechanics are getting a look over super dash vanish. Um, uh, like the Z reflect moves into the game, or is that too wild? Um, I would love for them to do that. I, I, I mean the the characters that they're they they said that they were at least talk. They they said that they are at least majorly balancing and then there was a big list of characters um uh lots of characters that are either too good or too or, or not good enough um that are, are getting a pass um i want to say that characters that are on that list are getting the major major tweaks and might see new moves i don't know how you make krillin for example like that much better without just literally adding new moves because krillin is like the the things that now the the game has found out enough that the things that make Krillin bad are detrimental uh, to his play style in a in a way that you, you need to like add new stuff. Help? What more moves would help then, right? Yeah, I would think so. Be- because like one of the big problems, like with the characters that are the best right now, one of their big problems is that they, they just do everything everyone else does, but more. Like like Cell. Like Cell. Like like Cell has the most moves in the game, and surprise, surprise, because he has the most moves in the game, he has the most options and the longest combos and like the longest combo extenders and everything like that, and the most tricky setups and stuff like that. And if you just like took a lot of other characters that maybe don't have a lot of extra moves or extra normals and you threw more normals and moves at them then people would inherently start coming up with more complicated combos or setups or touch of deaths and all this kind of stuff that would come along with the same very the very same thing that happened with cell so it would be very exciting to see them not just do a you know more internal balance tweak uh just by like tweaking some of the frame data or something but by also adding more moves onto characters so that instead of you know nerfing sell that much uh i think everyone really wants other characters to get more and be kind of caught up with sell so that they are more unique rather than just nerfing sell to make him less unique sell interestingly enough was not on the list of characters receiving a balance patch despite the fact that sell is most definitely the best character in the game um that would lead many people to make the assumption that if they are not touching cell then they are in fact doing the uh uh crazy balance patch thing but the buff the weak don't nerf the strong kind of thing that everyone always seems to love i'm not always uh, you know i'm not hands down a fan for the buff the weak nerf the strong thing uh because Sometimes, because I would be worried about the game getting to a point where everyone is sell and everyone is like, you know, they hit you with a stray hit, go into a combo that does half your life, and then give you like a second to react to a mix up that if they successfully open you up, then they kill you. Like, I don't think that's great either. So, I don't, I, but people, you know, you know how people are uh, with balance where they always want the weak characters buffed rather than the strong characters nerfed, but I, 
I don't know. I have to disagree. Like sometimes you do need the strong characters nerfed. I I would hope that Cell gets nerfs. It's easier uh, to nerf one character than it is to buff a bunch of characters. It, it is easier, so but hard. it's really hard to like not fuck up when you buff a bunch of things at once. Yeah, but and then you also you. I, I, I think the, the the scary thing about buffing a bunch of things once is then it becomes an arm arms race, right? Like if you're only ever going to try and buff characters to make them to get them up to the level of the strongest characters, then you risk the you risk the fact you or you risk an event where you buff a bunch of characters and then you make it so like maybe Yamcha is the strongest in the game or Tien or or you know Krillin or something. You overdo it. Um, if you're going to keep doing that. Then you're just gonna keep making the game more insane to the point where like one touch is death all the time. Like that's the I, I think that's a huge issue with Cell. And I don't and I understand why people love that character and I understand why people like watching that character or like why Cell, how parts of Cell can be a good template for balancing the rest of the game. But I also don't think that the game should be like what Cell is right now, where one stray hit leads to like a full damage combo that leads to a corner mix up. Like, I don't, I just don't want everything to be that. Cause then everyone's the same. Like if everyone is going to be as good as sell, then everyone's going to be the same. I, I hope that when they're doing this balance patch and they're talking about, uh, taking a look at all the system mechanics that maybe they do, uh, some stuff to super dash to make it so that zoning is a little bit more viable and open that up a little bit. And in doing so that might, buff some of the characters that are, that are the worst because uh, then maybe if you make it so that super dash is a little bit less less uh, effective then maybe you inherently make it so that a character like krillin that has all these zoning options or a character like beerus that is also like widely thought of as like not a fan phenomenal character uh their options just shine a little bit more and uh that's a good way to also balance it is through those mechanics um but still in love with that game I can't think of anything that's going to make me stop playing that game. Love the way I, I still uh, absolutely love that game. I love everything that's going on with that game. I love the the uh, the tournaments, the community. Um, I love playing that game, and I can't wait for Vegito and Zamasu. Very cool. There was another game that for I the meant king to ask you about for the king. So talk to me a little bit about that because we've both been playing that a little bit. Yeah. Right? Uh, I've been playing it more than you. I, I like For the King a lot. It is uh, a uh, recently out of early access game that is a uh, it's very board game like. So it, it kind of goes to my current uh, uh, fetish that that I, I want things to be more board game like. So you start out. Uh, it is a roguelike RPG, uh, roguelike turn based RPG with lots of. Uh, the kind of board game systems where uh first of all the world is a hexagonal based combat world um you start with three characters you can play online or locally and and divvy up uh the characters to different players um you basically go about this world doing quests learning more about the world unlocking weapons uh leveling up these characters these very uh non uh, generic character archetypes. You're not going to just experience like the paladin. Well, what? Are they not pretty generic to start out with? I, I feel like I, that's kind of a... Kind I mean, of at the very least, they're not just like the paladin. Like the, the characters you start out with are 
the hunter, which is like a bow character, but can do other things, more of like an agility based character. The blacksmith, which is like a strength uh, weapon and ar- like armament and shield based character. The scholar, which is mage like and intelligence based. And the. It's the last one. Minstrel. The minstrel, which is uh, a party buff character. And then you. Uh, throughout the game, it's it's a roguelike. If the party ever completely falls, then you lose all progress and you start from scratch. Um, but then there's the... Uh, since it's not a rogue game, it's a roguelike. The uh, uh, constant meta progression is these uh, lore tomes uh, by defeating... Like, overcoming larger events, you get lore tomes that allow you to go to a lore shop that has probably too much, in my opinion. I'll get more to that uh get on that a little bit later uh but you can unlock new characters new weapons uh new towns new events and uh cosmetics and stuff um uh but the game is uh i love the style i love the way it looks it's a low poly count kind of style um everyone looks very purposely blocky but not like lego not like minecrafty uh, it's not it, it, it's just that it's more like low poly uh count but it 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 does have a really nice gorgeous uh and consistent aesthetic um i just i really dig that game i think that there are more interesting things going on in that turn-based rpg than there are in a lot of other jrpgs that are going on right now it's not a it's it's an american rpg but like it does it a little bit better than current turn-based strategies because there's a lot of different other mechanics that you are wagering you have these focus points. Uh, when you attack, uh, it'll tell you beforehand how many times you need to roll uh, to successfully get an attack. It'll say, like, the attack will hit at, like, 86%. And then it rolls multiple times. Like, let's say it's three rolls, and the rolls are 86% uh, uh, effective. Uh, but you can also wager these focus points that are then lost there's only a set amount you can currently have and you have to gain them back through meditation or other like randomly rolled events uh and you can basically lock in a perfect roll for something so it ends up having this board gamey yeah what very board game it is very board gamey i'm glad like that was my first thought is not even the hexagonal element but there's uh different mechanisms that feel board game like uh in randomness but in also uh giving you basically like tokens or uh single use kind of things over time that allow you to mitigate the randomness um it's a really cute fun game i i want to i want to play it a little bit more um but if anyone is looking for i i feel like what drew me to it originally was uh, i played tangle deep and that is the roguelike that you kind of liked a little bit more and it has this uh, very different style uh, of RPG where it is single player, uh, it is, or it's like one character, um, and they are moving, and every single time they move, all the enemies also move. So, uh, and the That's, combat, uh, yeah, the combat That's the is way also that traditional roguelikes work. Yeah, um, so it's not like it's an RPG, but it's not like a turn-based RPG. This game, I think, like has some of the best elements of turn-based RPGs and building a party and getting loot. And, you know, it shows it even shows up on your character, um, but it also has other roguelike elements. Uh, so it, it's an interesting combination of things. It's $15 on Steam. If any of that sounds interesting, uh, turn-based RPG roguelike uh, with a nice low poly count style, uh, check it out. I think it's really cool. Yeah. I, think it's a, I also think it's one of those things where... 
uh, if you watch a trailer of it on Steam or something, you will know within the first 10 seconds whether or not it's a game for you. And you'll either be uh, proven right or you'll decide right away that it's not for you. Like if it's if you if you watch a trailer and it is for you, then you will I will almost guarantee the year 15 bucks will be well spent. And if you don't like it in the trailer, then you're just probably not going to like it. I still really enjoy Tangle Deep, though. And, you know, they have been coming out with updates uh, every other week since its release. They've uh, done 11 updates so far, and they're developing a Switch version. I would probably buy it on Switch, even though I'm only lukewarm on it. I will definitely buy it on the Switch. It's a good Switch game right there. Man, it's easy to say that about just about everything. Right? You know what would be a good Switch game? Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire. You know, you know what would be a good Switch game? For the King. Sure. Yeah, absolutely to both of those. Uh, so you know what else was this weekend? Uh, this weekend was uh, National Tabletop Day. Did I you know did not know that. So I was at the, the shop for eight hours this week. Uh, I won three raffles. And I played a ton of board games that I'd never played before. Wow, I'm so interested. Hit me. All right, so a lot of them were party games, but the best party game I played was Decrypto. In Decrypto, you play as two teams of spies who uh, have words in front of them. So uh, as a team of spies, you have words in front of you like sky, garden, uh, shoe, face. And you need to uh, essentially relay messages to your teammates by using these words without the other team figuring out what it is that you're trying to send. So, for example, uh, you have the four words in front of you that are marked as one, two, three, four. Uh, Let's say that uh, word one is sky and word two is face. You might have a message uh, that you have to relay that is two comma one. So you have to somehow send a word that says face that that your teammates will figure out and then a word that says sky that your teammates will figure out uh, without the enemies being able to understand or interpret what it is that your word is. Uh, You play multiple rounds using the same words. So essentially you're going to run out of things that are about like the sky that, that are simple to understand. So you need to use like more complicated ideas about the sky uh, that are that are trickier to understand because you don't want the enemies to catch on to what the message is that you're relaying because if they intercept your message twice, uh, you lose. But if you uh, miscommunicate twice, if your team is unable to decipher your message twice, then you also lose. So it is a very sort of like tricky game about deception and uh, words and lexicon and vernacular. It's really, it's really cool. It's the best party game uh, that I played that day. Maybe one of my favorite party games uh, overall outside of the Jackbox suite of games. So another game that I played was so cool that I needed to buy my own copy of it. Okay. Uh, did you watch the video I sent you for Space Base? I'm sorry, I did not. So I will. Space Base is an engine building game uh, where you roll dice. So essentially, uh, you have a set of cards in front of you to start with. Everybody has the same base set of cards. 
Uh, and essentially what these cards represent is every dice roll from 1 to 12. When you roll the dice, uh, you can let's say you roll a 1 and a 6. You can either take the rewards from rolling a 7, or you can take the rewards from rolling a 1 and a 6. Uh, essentially, those rewards come in terms of income, so how much money you get. You use the money to replace your starting 12 cards. And what's really interesting about this game is that when you replace a card, let's say that you... Uh, you want to buy a card that replaces what happens whenever you roll a one. You take the initial card and you put it above the other card. Uh, and that card counts as income. So that whenever your opponent rolls that card, uh, that, that dice number, then you collect that reward as well. So what's really interesting is that every single dice roll in the game matters to you because you care about what's happening on your turns and your enemy's turns uh, because of these this income. Like you're always there's always a chance that you're going to gain something off of the roll. I like but that. But at the same time, it is a deck builder because the cards that you can purchase come out of this uh, these three different decks of cards. And essentially it's similar to Dominion where you're trying to get uh, a set number of victory points uh, before your opponent does. That sounds really interesting, and I like what you're saying about how, uh, because a lot of board games do fail at the concept of like being that interesting or engaged during an opponent's turn. Yeah, this is a game where you cannot take a break to go grab something because it's not your turn. This is a, it's a 60-minute game, but for those 60 minutes, you are wholly engaged in what's happening. Uh, it's I've only played one match of it. But that one match was enough to clue me in that there's a lot of different strategies, a lot of different engines that you can build. Uh, and I'm really excited to play this game with you. Uh, I will say that it takes up a lot of table space. Uh, so in my current apartment, I wouldn't be able to actually play it at all. So I do. I did sign a lease for a new apartment, which is very exciting. Congratulations. I knew that, but I'm saying congratulations on air. Yeah. Thank you. And I will be getting the keys for that soon. Uh, so what's really funny is that I've also been thinking about the idea of like having a weekly or bi-weekly Gloomhaven meetup and that I would essentially do that meetup at the other apartment uh, with the larger kitchen table that I intend to purchase simply because there's more space to play. So for like a couple of weeks, it's just going to be like a board game clubhouse and nothing else. Which will be kind of fun. That is kind of fun. Anything else you played uh, during this experience? Um, I'm trying to remember. So I played Decrypto. I played Space Base. I played this game called Space Team, uh, where the party is, where it's a cooperative game that happens over the course of five minutes. And you're trying to repair a spaceship with a group of other players by all sort of like using different tools and passing around cards. Uh, but they're very specific uh, rules, such as you sit in a, you sit or stand in a circle and you can only pass cards next to you, and there are no turns. Everybody is trying to do everything at the same exact time. So that means that it's essentially a lot of yelling, and it's it does not work in like a private space. It's something that you would really want to play like at a board game store on tabletop day. Uh, 
And then there's all these random events that could happen. Like I had this effect happen to me where I became a robot and I could not use my thumbs for the rest of the game. Uh, so just neat, like some some party games like that. Uh, I played some role-playing games like Competition Kitchen where uh, one person becomes the judge and there's a challenge and each player has a set of ingredients and then they try to role-play out a a sort of a dish that they built uh, for the challenge while incorporating a secret ingredient that's not revealed until the very end. Interesting. So I played a lot of different styles of games. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. Uh, So the games that I won were... I won a one-versus-one Warhammer game. Uh, What? That's one of the games that, that I got from a raffle. It's a one versus one deck building tactical strategy Warhammer game. Okay, so I mean, when I think Warhammer, I think of minis. So this is a deck, just a deck builder, right? And no. So you have a deck that you're building and you're moving minis around on a grid. And it's a one versus one competitive game. Wow. Actually, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, so uh, we'll be able to check that out. I got a copy of Codenames. Uh, Marvel edition of Codenames I won from the raffle as well, uh, and uh, a deductive game called 13 Clues, which I think is nice because it'll probably be something that is like a party game that's pretty accessible. Uh, so yeah, uh, board game day, tabletop day was really awesome. Uh, there's a D&D campaign coming up in May that I'll be hopefully signing up for every single time that I've tried to sign up for Dungeons & Dragons at this place it has sold out so i am going to be looking at this every single day trying to sign up for dungeons and dragons hopefully getting into it that'll be fun that'll be really fun and that's that's pretty much what my week was i envy you well hopefully you will have a you'll have a different uh work schedule soon so we'll be able to get together and play a few more board games together yeah um, I, I certainly want to because uh, it's going to be getting to the point where I'm going to be inundated with board games that like I'm very fascinated with. Uh, like I said, I was getting Blood Rage. I really want to play that with you. Um, but uh, on my... So yeah. in Gloomhaven, we, so we played a little bit of Gloomhaven together. Uh, we got your reputation to 10. So we were able to open our first mm. character box which yes. obviously we won't spoil for anybody, but it was the sun box. Yes. Um, um, so I, you know, you know, that, I, I wanted to I wanted to run this by you because we did it in like a uh, like you know one thing that that I I already know your opinion on this, but the whole like house rules thing. I, I feel like the board games are about having fun, man. And if you can make a house rule that works in a way that like everyone is happy and it doesn't ruin it or you know stagnate the game quick then like why not follow it because it's it's a board game it's not a a video game it doesn't get patched every week you have to go with what you know like that works for your group um so we're playing gloomhaven where uh positive and negative rep or prosperity and different effects that happen to us uh are happening to both of us and both of our uh unique campaigns so if i'm over your house like and we do an event that gets us rep or something like that then uh we uh count it for both sides uh i'm sure people there might be purists purists that would like 
uh, you know, vomit over this fact. But I think it's just the currently it's 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 house rules that make it the best for our current state. And um, so I was over your house for your birthday, me and my uh, LTCP, and we were playing. um, uh, We got to the point where I had nine rep in my world. Uh, So the next time I got rep, uh, we would have opened up the sunbox. Uh, I just want to mention to you that, so we opened it up then because I knew that we would play while you were gone and that I wanted you to be there for the opening. Uh, The next time that my LTCP and I played, the very first city card gave us one more rep. And we essentially... So, so, uh, no harm, no foul. What? Who got the new character? Did he, well, either you can't technically play a new character uh, until you retire, but I'm sure that's another thing that you could house rule. Um, can you not? Because you can have you can you can always make a new character and have different people yeah, pilot so. different characters, right? I guess so. Yeah, with different, and then you would give them a new uh, career goal. Yeah, and and you would start them off with a. If you're Prosperity 2, you would give them 45 gold. Start them at level 2. Oh, no one's playing that character yet. Uh, We'll see. So, in my game, I am... So, since the Sun class is unlocked for you, I've been trying to lead my group uh, down a path of negativity, and nobody is interested. Everybody... I'm bummed. Everybody always wants to do the right thing all the time. And I always think that in a role-playing, that is such a bummer. It's boring, just right? You, just because you want to do the right thing in real life doesn't mean you have to, like, prove it. You don't have to prove something when you're playing a board game. Just kick the Vermling. Just kick him. Whatever. He's not real. Get that negative rep. Unlock the moon class. To be honest, the moon class is probably cooler than the sun class. You don't know that, but sure. I don't know that. That's why I said probably. I mean, for me, it was like we had these uh, questions initially, and I was interested in doing the right thing. And in doing so, kind of put myself on a path where I kept wanting to do the right thing to get to the 10 rep to be able to unlock the box. Um, Go big or go home. Yeah. And so I could see how you're just like, listen, the box is unlocked. I know it's in there. Um, I'm I never going to be able, that like, because I want to, I want to leave that surprise for if it opens. Okay. So here's another thing I'm playing with Kevin Cruz and Kevin Cruz's quest unlocks the sun box. So I obviously, am shocked. so I obviously I want to go do the bad stuff to unlock the moon box. Cause I'm go- already going to unlock the sun box through, through his playing. You know what's awesome though? I feel like everyone who plays Gloomhaven is touched by it. Like people who like are interested in gaming, they play Gloomhaven and they immediately understand like why it's special. Yeah, no argument. Especially here. if they if they come from video games especially, then it's so easy to understand like what is happening because in in a lot of ways Gloomhaven is like have you played Mass Effect? Paragon and Renegade systems, like if that kind of thing is interesting to you, then then Gloomhaven might be your jam. Yeah. Um, Mass Effect with more unlocks. Physical unlocks. 
yeah, so that is my week in gaming, I guess, including the the P games and the E games. Um, we played a bit of Monster Prom though. Yeah, I wasn't blown let's away talk about that. Monster Prom. So, Monster Prom is a so, sort of a a competitive dating sim. Uh, in in my opinion, I think that the writing is half good and half very bad. What, uh, yes, uh, I am very much aligned with your opinion here. So essentially, the game uh, works like a slice of life, or or I don't slice of life slash dating simulator. Uh, there seems to be a ton of content in the game. Uh, there's over like throughout the game, you see like uh, one play session is maybe uh, forty five minutes to one hour. Uh, through which maybe like nine or 12 events unfold. And there are over 3,000 different events that can happen. So the game is packed with content, and some people will really like the style of the game. Uh, I am maybe not one of those people. But the idea of a competitive dating sim was sort of interesting to me. I think that this is a a one to four player game that I think heavily benefits from having a full party of four players. Yeah, there are certain things you kind of can't do with two players. And I don't even know what would happen with one player. I I just think that the game would maybe be slightly boring with one player. Yeah, that competitive aspect is really important. Especially if two people are vying over the same person which I think is more likely in a uh, four-player game. Uh, The thing that immediately sort of turned me off of this game when we were playing it, though, was, and this is going to sound silly, but really the vulgarity. Uh, There were just so many unnecessary cuss words. And, like, like, if, if a character's identity is, like, this character does a lot of drugs... Which is and one of the character's maybe, identity, by the way. And I'm sure, and you know, there are different like uh, events that can happen and you might not ever see that style, like that part of the character. But if if that's the entire identity of your character, maybe maybe you got to work just a little bit more. I don't know. Oh, man. There, uh. it, it's, it's, there are some really cool ideas in this game. But ultimately... I played it once, and it's going to be refunded. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, th- I think that, like, um, I, I totally agree with you. Like, half, like there's some, like, r- really funny dialogue, um, but it's always marred by the fact that, like, a sentence or two before they said something that, like, did not hit. Um, the game is very hip. Uh, like hip to the point of like these people who are whoever wrote it is like it's like hentai they mentioned Nardo a lot uh, Boo Paul's Drag Race which is pretty cute that it's in you know a monster world Boo, Pearl, Boo Paul's Drag Race um, uh, there's a lot of good stuff there and then there's a lot of stuff that really is not good and I think that too many F-bombs I think that like yeah, yeah like the vulgarity makes it less sincere to me because like you know, there there was a I, I think of like you know Dream Daddy or something like that where the game it, I feel like this game is like half trying to be Dream Daddy or get the emotional response of Dream Daddy where it's trying to give you 
uh, a feeling of like comfort and uh you know like a more you know nuanced version of 2018 dating and our current world and our current state of you know sexuality and genders and all this kind of stuff but whereas i you know i could see dream daddy i haven't played it uh uh from but from everything i've heard you know uh skirts that line better and does it more appropriately this game does it with like a weird flippancy and i think that's what really kind of turned me off is like there was this one character damien and i i don't care if this is a spoiler by the way um, I'm just going to go right into it. It's like 3,000 events, so I think you are good to spoil one or... One or th- uh, so one thing that is interesting is that like out of these many events, there are clearly uh, some precursors where if something happens early on, they sort of do continue on that story, which is something that we saw. And maybe something... And you know, something that I thought was kind of cool about this game. Yeah. So there's a character, Damien, who's like a demon or like a, you know, prince of hell kind of thing. A hell boy. A hell boy. And his character originally is like he's, uh, you know, aggressive. He likes to set the school on fire and all this kind of stuff. And there's all this like hyperbole kind of stuff about how he's always trying to like he's always ending up in jail and detention. And he's like a horrible troublemaker. Um, and then this like and then, and this is what I and what I mean by flippancy is like. One event led him to talk about how he was going to watch something about drag racing, uh, like like physical, like, you know, car drag racing. But he saw Boo Paul's Drag Race, which is cute. I like it. Um, and found out. And, and then his whole thing was about how how instead of watching at the end of it and finding out that it wasn't about drag racing, he found out that it was about drag racing, as in men uh, dressing up as females and uh and doing like a a performance um and he loved it and went in and was talking about how he wanted to be like a hairstylist and a lot of the rest of the game that we ended up playing after that point was more about him talking about being a hairstylist and wanting to be a hairstylist and different questions and like different uh uh story events related to this but it just felt like you know, like I, I hate to do this on a on a podcast that it, that has two like cis white males, kind of like if we're if we're getting into this because how could we not? But um, the 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 way that like every character is like gender fluid and super, you know, the Tumblr SJW. And they I have to be though because I, there's I, only like a few characters in the game, so making them gender fluid is not only a uh, a uh, requirement politically correct it's it's not a requirement it's also a gameplay decision of there needs to be choices and that's fine and that's fine but like just to see him like you know you know jump out quickly with like he has his two dads of hell and it's something where like i i hate the way i sound when i do this because i sound like those gamergate people um there's nothing like I have to, like, it's so sad that I would have to preface this like this. Like, I, I don't have anything against gay people remotely, and I can't believe we're getting to this into this on this podcast. How dare you? But, but um, uh, it just feels like it's doing a little bit too much of that at the same time. Like, trying to win you over with, like, of course he has two dads, and of course he wants to, like, be a hairstylist. I did like the story behind why he has two dads. Okay. I thought that that was decent. It just 
like does it like do you agree with me at all does it does I don't it... I don't think that that's the problem with the game. I actually think the problem is that the game uh so you know, I I know this sounds ridiculous, but I spend a lot of time thinking about memes. I spend a lot of time looking at memes. And and you know, there is this sort of a uh, I don't know if you've done any reading on on like culturally why millennial memes are the way they are and why there is sort of this um a this this sort of connection between millennial memes and dadaism uh and the absurdity of of our current memes but i feel like this game leans a little too heavily into it it sort of jumps the shark it sort of goes off the rails. More oh, excuse you. It fucks do. the shark. And to use their terminology, it, it fucks oh, the shark. It fucks the shark. There is literally a part of the game where you say, I would fuck a great white shark. And and, and, and by the so way, much. and by the way, you saying it jumps the shark and me saying it fucks the shark and that relating to the game is, if anything, more of... Uh, 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 more backup onto what you were talking about before where it is so flippant with like different uh, gender stereotypes that are that are popular like it's like but it's very flippant with that it's very flippant with cursing like it does everything in like too over the top style I it, it, you know I, I just feel like especially if you're playing a solo game that Dream Daddy is a better option it doesn't have three thousand events in it, but why I do think you need the writing, that? The writing in Dream Daddy is super cohesive. It it can be a little, you know, it can be a little on the nose at times, but it's never. They don't As just aggro. drop a ton of f bombs. Yeah, As it's aggro. not so aggressive. Like th- this game is like. This game is like, you know, it's the horror of Juno. It's 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 the every sentence has to be a joke and you can't just write a single fucking sentence that is sincere. Like every every sentence has to be like a joke and a joke and a joke on top of a joke and then the next sentence is a joke. So everyone is always doing their like you know, like, uh, like every sentence is like the, uh, yeah, the, it, today is the not is is a uh, opposite day, so it's so I'm not not Vera, so I'm I get not not what you have, so I got all your money, and then they de- definitely didn't buy a bunch of coke, uh, cocaine, like what the fuck, like dude, really, like every sentence has to be like edgy and to the point of it being like a parody of itself and dream daddy is just more uh, of, of a sincere thing with the current state of like more, you know, gender fluidity coming to the top and people admitting what they are deep down. Whereas this game almost seems like someone like either, and, and, and it doesn't really come across like they're being, they're cashing in on it. But it almost is a cash in on it because every single sentence is about how like this character has two dads or this character is gender fluid and they're all doing drugs and not going to school and it's just like it's like the edgiest thing. Like not it's just, all of them, man. So fucking edgy, and it is fucking yeah, it is edgy. edgy. It's not just edgy; it's fucking edgy. Are those video games? Um, I mean, I wanted to talk more about some of the stuff I've been doing. What do you got going on this week? What do I got going on? Uh, you are speaking to 
the greatest Kickstarter, the publisher of all time. Uh, you, there, it, I, let me let me excite you. Let me get you into my world, my world that you you appropriately you uh, ad- adult you 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 turn your face away from because you know that that it makes no sense to pay for something that you'll be getting in a year. But let me tell you that I have uh, become further obsessed down the Kickstarter hole. Uh, the games that we were talking about recently, uh, the arena, the contest, the MOBA-inspired mini-fig uh, PvP slash PvE um, legacy-style game uh, got funded and it, got, uh, it uh, rose up in the last moments to get all of its stretch goals unlocked, some insane stuff, including a surprise that they would not tell us. Uh, there is a large surprise in the final edition of the game that they ha- uh, will not speak about. Uh, the game Unbroken, uh, Unbroken got, let me bring it up, Unbroken got 4,274% funded. Um, lots of cool stuff there. Uh, very excited about that game. That game is slated to release sometime around December, but the publishers have been known for releasing their games a little early. So excited about that. Maybe we'll get yeah. it. And so tell me, you you are funding a lot of games. Uh, the one that I am glad you're funding is Black Rose Wars. Black Rose Wars. I was going to leave this to the end of my Kickstarter campaign news because Black, St- Black Rose Wars is a darling right now in the community. As far as unreleased games can go. But the thing that's different about uh, Black Rose Wars is that it's more than just a promise, right? It is. Uh, Black Rose Wars is a game that the developers, Ludus Magnus, have been uh, carting around and developing for the last four years. They've been going to different conventions and showing off Black Rose Wars. And in doing so, Black Rose Wars has gotten an insane uh, underground and board game geek following uh, before it even launched its Kickstarter to the point where when it launched its Kickstarter, it went over a thousand percent on the first day. Uh, it is an, it is a bonkers game. The campaign for it is absolutely bonkers. The game itself, absolutely bonkers. Many of re- many reasons to get excited. Real quick, um, uh, the games that I'm currently funding uh, now that are in their campaigns because Arena the Contest and Unbroken finished their campaign. Uh, two games that I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, real quick, Court of the Dead, uh, Mourner's Call is a... Did gor- you also kickstart that? I did. Court of the Dead, Mourner's Call is a pretty gorgeous looking um, draft style game. The thing that kind of drew me to that game was that it is a both a cooperative and competitive game at the same time. So there are mechanics and there are mechanisms in the game that uh, force you to cooperate with the people that you are competing against because if you don't, then large-scale terrible things will happen in the game and you might never finish that run-through. It is not a legacy game. It is a game that you play in a single sitting uh, the entire thing, but you can fail the game. Everyone can fail the game 
uh, by not agreeing on certain things or not uh, compromising on certain things. So the game, you have to, it is an interesting game where you have to compromise as you're going, but at the same time, kind of screw over the people and get ahead. I, I really like that idea. I really like that concept. I like so far what they're doing with it. Very gorgeous style. Uh, people, you are at the same time trying to unite the underworld and you're trying to rule it. So at the same time that your, your table of people are trying to uh, succeed in uniting the underworld, world you are trying to be the best and you and rule it at the same time so i, I like the, the concept of a both competitive and cooperative game kirby you know what makes me great and you know what makes me very happy about being your friend is i don't have to kickstart any of this yeah i could just i could just play your copy you know if we actually lived close enough i would go halves with you on some of these kickstarters but I'll just let you do the whole thing and then bring it over. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this, and I'm going to get uh, inundated at some point in the future, um, and that'll be an exciting moment as well. Uh, so, just real quick, to, uh, I remembered something about um, Court of the Dead Mourners Call that that uh, the co- cooperative slash competitive at the same time board game. Um, I really liked that it had a similar mechanic, but a little bit more in depth to uh, the uh, battle goal in Gloomhaven. So at the start of every turn, I believe, you'll be drawing these cards that give you secret kind of things that you'll be trying to do. So at the same time that you're all working towards this end goal, but also trying to win, there'll be and there'll be these things that you'll be trying to complete complete in secret that enemies might start to figure out they are going for it and they might be able to stymie you, but it would hurt them. So I'm interested to see the emotions that this game, that Court of the Dead Mourners Call, evokes uh, around a table of people that are both trying to cooperate just to be able to get further and past the game to begin with, um, but also having this kind of under the table seediness of like, we also, we all want to win and we all want to finish the game and not just instantly lose and have nothing else to do and have to restart. But like this person is doing too well. So how can I, you know, hurt them a little bit, but not hurt them so much that it's going to affect our overall standing and ruin the game. I think that's really cool. I I really want to see how that plays out. Uh, in actuality and in actual play, but the real game that I've been really excited to talk about uh, is is uh, Black Rose Wars. Uh, like I said, Black Rose Wars is a game that Ludus Magnus, uh, the studio, has been uh, carting around to different uh, conventions and gatherings, uh, getting feedback. Uh, the game itself, before it came to Kickstarter, was basically complete. They just needed the money to fund it, and now uh, with the extra money and the stretch goals, they are funding uh, lots of different stuff. Uh, The main idea is that you are picking a mage. Again, it is not a legacy campaign. I I, I have to mention this, despite the fact that like board games are mostly not legacy, uh, just because we play so many legacy board games. Uh, But it is a, you know, sit down for an hour to two hours or whatever and play this game. Uh, you pick a mage in the beginning. Uh, the the uh, f- basically the arena is going to be tile based, uh, depending on the mages and depending on how you're exploring 
um, and every room will give you different benefits to being in that room. Um, but you're, you're mages and you are fighting and slaying spells and doing all this kind of stuff, uh, summoning familiars, uh, you know, learning different things from a school of magic and slowly doing a deck building style game. Uh, the mages are all attuned specifically to one type of magic and they are terrible and unable to choose from a different type of magic. Uh, but in between that, uh, when you're drafting for your cards every phase, uh, you will pick t- two off the top of your style of spell, and then you will be able to pick uh, two more of any different style of spell. Uh, you look at you look at those styles of spells. You look at those four cards you drew. Uh, two, of course, from your style, uh, and then two from any other style, and you pick two to keep in your deck. So your your deck starts to grow over time based on different styles of schools of magic. Uh, all the, the stretch goals are related to different styles of magic, and that's very exciting. So, for example, right now, uh, uh, the core magicians are built around, you know, evoking uh uh mad uh, like fire destruction all the kind of more general things of like destruction ice control these kind of things that you would kind of think of as like more general and then the more the characters that are kind of coming out now and the stretch goals are characters like uh there is a forge mage that create that enchants uh like living weapons so you're 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 uh you would be enchanting and creating living living weaponry like dancing swords that would be uh able to like move you'd be able to create these living swords and move throughout with these uh basically like minions um there is uh right now the stretch goals that they're working on and just just completed uh was a demonology style uh uh of magic where they summon demons um there are uh like all these different interesting types of magic there's like control magic like defensive magic and the mages all align to one type and of course as i said you are drafting but you're getting two cards from your primary style and then two cards from the other styles that are in play um so it it is do you know anything about mage knight um not that much but uh you seem to think it's related well, I, I would just be curious if there were any uh, similarities you could draw between this and Mage Knight, but I I guess not. Um, but it is a huge darling of the community. There's so many interesting things going on other than, like, it combines a lot of aspects that I really love. We talked about how we, we both love the deck building aspect. I love the idea of, like, uh, so the mages, and one of the things that the, that I, I actually like that some people don't like, uh, I can imagine people not liking this concept, is that the mages themselves, when you choose them, are not going to have passives or actives or anything. They're not going to have wild things going on. So every game really will be more about the fact that you chose that mage, so they align to a school of magic. So when you do the drafting, you will get two uh, random spells off the top to look at to either choose or throw away but you also get the choices of like different schools of magic that are in play 
to choose from to slowly, you know, build this deck over time. Uh, I really like that because it means that there'll be more choice and I feel like more games will be different instead of a, cause I, I've heard this common complaint about Scythe, which is a really popular game that the uh, classes in Scythe kind of force you down a certain strategy. And I don't like that because I really like the idea, the more uh, Slay the Spire style where, where you have to, uh, slowly synergize with the luck you are getting and the play and it's not that you're getting screwed over in luck you're just getting random things and you're trying to be the most efficient with what you're getting so this game uh, the mages you're picking don't really have that much unique stuff going for them they're just aligned to a school of magic so maybe if you love a school of magic or the cards that that entails that you would maybe want to pick that mage but that that the interesting choices will come more from how do you synergize outside of that school. So, so my question for you is, do you worry that you're spending too much on Kickstarter and at some point you're going to say, okay, I'm done kickstarting games. And then something comes along that just blows you away. Um, cause, cause you can always kickstart more games, right? Like the, no, you can't, that's the scary thing. The concept of, of, uh, there's always more, right? Cause there really is. There's always another thing on the horizon that you could kickstart. I mean, and, and you know, with video games, here's the thing. When you buy video games, you are sort of thinking to yourself, I don't have the time to play another video game, so I'm not going to buy any more video games. But when it comes to kickstarting, the idea of kickstarting, it's like theoretical, right? So you yeah, don't think that about is, is interesting. Play. You you think about just the idea of it rather than like, will I have the time to get through this? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, when I'm looking at these things and they're not legacy things, like when I look at the concept of Mage Wars being a 90 plus minute game, um, it, it it's not that scary because it's like, well, it's two to five players or whatever. So uh, any time that I can maybe try and get something like this going or bring it over your house, uh, it'll be interesting. And uh, I, I look at these kind of things like I would look at like you busting out Clank, right? Like, and, and the best of board games is that you sit people down and you you tell them the rules and they don't get it and every turn they start getting it more and then you watch on people's faces as it all starts clicking and then the the, the most exciting and, and that's just not the most exciting part because then there's the end game of people start to get it and now that they're getting it they're formidable they're they understand the concepts they uh you build your own personal meta around what you and what your the players in your group value and stuff like that so when i look at these 90 minute games or something like that it, it's a it's a lot more feasible because um when it comes out uh and i have it uh we it would be easy for me to come over and we play around of gloomhaven or something and maybe instead of playing that second round we're like oh let's bust out clank let's bust out uh black rose wars or something like that um and then We'll play it, and the first couple times we'll be confused by it, and maybe we'll start to get it, and then we'll, and then there's always that experience because I had this with Clank uh, in a strong way of like, I, I, I would never turn you down for for busting out Clank because, as I, I would understand, never turn you down for playing more Gloomhaven. Yeah, but as I understood Clank, it was like 
more and more interesting things were happening. And because of it, it was like, well, I just want to play Clank a hundred more times. So if you're ever going to like bust it out in front of me, I'm going to get interested in it and I'm going to be down for it. Uh, so I think I've got an expansion. Yeah. You got a, the space one mummy. Oh, the mummy one. Add on to the original game. So now instead of having two maps, we have four maps and we also have some additional features, additional cards. That's very interesting. That's fantastic, and what a good choice because uh, the additional game, the uh, the core game itself, is so fun that it kind of would feel uh, messed up to play a a an expansion that didn't incorporate the core game properly. But absolutely, I think the next board game that we need to play together is one hundred percent got to be Space Base. Okay, well, I will probably see you. I could see you always for Wednesday. I am here on Thursday. So you're if here you on Thursday. On Thursday, we will we'll figure it out. We'll okay, so I'm getting space. Blood Rage by Tuesday. Sounds good, man. Blood Rage, as I mentioned before, Viking style uh, area control and denial uh, deck building game. Um, very excited. So for now that. all we need to do is make the space for Space Base. Now we got to make the. I don't think that Blood Rage is going to be as bad as Space Base uh, style. Uh, uh, like. Uh, location-wise. Uh, maybe we could play uh, some of this Warhammer Syndicate, uh, the 1v1 tactical game. Wow. Board games are really fucking cool, dude. Glad are, that you're getting yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, no uh, argument there. Like, no... No shit. They're crazy. Uh, but, but Black Rose Wars has all this interesting stuff going on for it. I, I don't want to... Uh, I, I harp I, on it. Too I don't much. want to harp on it too yeah. hard, but like there's all these different crazy mechanics that people that have been developed over the last four years that just sound phenomenal. Um, there's schools of magic that destroy the very tiles that the, that you're slowly building over time. And by in destroying them, you deny certain effects, but create certain effects. So this just seems like the kind of game that like, that like the I, I'm I'm so excited because conceptually it seems like the kind of game that we'd play the first time and then be like the second you're done just be like no don't pack it up yet let's play again because I think I'm getting the hang of it and I want to go in a different direct I want to go in a different route and I want to see what happens if I do that and I I, I encourage people who hear this uh, check it out check the Black Rose Wars uh, Kickstarter because. It is probably one of the better Kickstarters that I've seen uh, in the the recent few, in the recent uh, past, where uh, these stretch goals are completely changing the game, and that's exciting to me. That that like we're getting all new, uh, you, you know, every stretch goal is basically creating new cards that will change the game, or new summoners that will completely like new magicians, mages that will completely change the game because they will be. Uh, like it's it's crazy to think that like a stretch goal will unlock this demon, this this uh, demon school of magic, and this demon magic user. But then, as you're unlocking it, the fact that you're unlocking this demon magic user, not only does that mean that you get the choice of playing as that demon school magic user, but it also means that in playing, if someone plays the demon school magic user, it could completely change the options that you have throughout the game. That the it completely changes the synergies because of that ability to check to collect that class's cards yeah so like in doing so you are further open we are further with every stretch goal opening up the the deck building aspect 
into being wider and wider and wider and like that's super exciting to see um it's a very cool game uh lots of stuff on it lots of videos uh, uh on it i feel like ludus magnus is a really interesting studio because they didn't just throw this kickstarter out of like uh, you know, Arena of the Contest looks really interesting. Uh, Court of the Dead Mourner's Call looks really interesting. Some of these other games look really interesting, but Ludus Magnus has been taking this around and currying favor with people in the community and at the same time workshopping it, balancing it. This wasn't a game that came to Kickstarter that is like, we've got a cool concept. This was a game that we have a cool game that people love, that there is a cult following, that people will play for hours and hours and hours and talk about strategies that isn't out yet. Uh, they'll do that at these like Gen Cons and stuff like that. So the fact that it, like it's getting better and more interesting by every day and that it already was a good game and that it's getting a, it's becoming a better game is worth noting. It's worth checking out. I'll take your word for it until I play your copy of it. But that's the thing is like you mentioned before, am I afraid of kickstarting games and then spending too much money on this and then being afraid of going back to Kickstarter? If you're going to be interested in board games, like maybe I'm going too far in the wonder in this direction or I am going too far in this direction of like spending money on kickstarting games. But when I look at Kingdom Death uh, that was like kickstarted for you know two fifty five would get you the core box and all this kind of stuff and now it's four hundred dollars and I absolutely love Kingdom Death I've been playing it every single week uh, for hours I played it for like three hours this morning um, and loving this hobby aspect of it and loving all these other kind of things um, I get worried because a lot of these Kickstarter games don't really come to retail and they end up going either like getting insanely high prices or you have to get it from scalpers on ebay so if i look at these games like black rose wars where i'm paying uh you know a hundred dollars to get black rose wars and i'm worried about the very concept of like it going up to 200 300 after market um it's like you you kind of have to do this you kind of have to do this because there's certain games where you just can't get without paying exorbitant prices for it but a reprint of Gloomhaven is coming, and with that, I believe that a lot of companies would do the same. I'm surprised that Kingdom Death isn't getting a uh, a reprint. It seems kind of a we're we're in kind of a golden age of board games. Uh, maybe I haven't been playing board games enough to say that, but it seems like a lot more people have been picking up the hobby well, may- recently. Well, maybe maybe what we're, what you're saying is that there has been a bold, a golden age of board games happening and we are just now privy to it. Maybe, but it's surprising to see a company not want to reprint while something like this is going on. But maybe that's because in the board game space, people are always chasing the next big thing and people aren't always looking backwards. I feel like there's this section of people who get involved in board games and some of them are saying, let me pick up the classics. Uh, let me pick up uh, the games that everyone is always talking about, like Dominion, uh, Viticulture, Agriculture, Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride. Uh, and then there are people who just say... Twilight Imperium. Don't forget Twilight Imperium. Stuff. Let me get the new stuff. Let me get Gloomhaven. Let me kickstart a bunch of stuff that I don't know about yet. So those are sort of like the the two camps. And, you know, 
maybe that camp that's chasing the new stuff is so big that publishers are fearful of reprinting. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, I, I, I half see where you're going, but if you go on like board game geek, then, and you look at like the top hundred or so, it's a really crazy mix of games that are just old as hell and games that are just really new. And, uh, you, you got a good mix of all different types of games, small games like coup, they kind of come in a tiny box and are just cards and are cheap, uh, to games like Gloomhaven, the number one, uh, rated game right now that is this uh, more sprawling legacy adventure with all these minis and stuff like that. And then you got games for uh, people who should be admitted to a psych ward, like Kingdom Death. Um, I didn't realize that Kingdom Death Monster is actually in stock. uh, Yes, the 1.5 edition of Kingdom Death Monster is in stock. None of the expansions are, but the current 1.5 core edition box is in stock for $400. Uh, Like I said, that was originally like $250 if you had Kickstarter backed it. Uh, but it is now four hundred dollars. But is it? And it's worth it, though, right? Like that's the thing is, is you get a box like Gloomhaven, and and I, you know, I had friends who said, "Whoa, you spent one hundred and sixty dollars on a board game? That's crazy." Then they come over, they see the box, they see all the contents, they see the amount of miniatures. If you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder and you've bought miniatures for a campaign, you realize how expensive miniatures on their own are. So when a game comes with a bunch of miniatures and it's only $160, sort of starts to seem like a bargain. I mean, I I paid uh, $200 to get Gloomhaven, and you you could wrestle that box for me from my cold, dead hands. Uh, I, I have gotten... The the hour I by the way I don't even I didn't even mention this to you I spent um, uh, last Wednesday from four p we hung out that was uh before we hung out no because you were gone oh that's right so that whole week in Los Angeles is removed from my mind interesting um so last Wednesday from four p.m. to three a.m. From 4 p.m. to 3 a.m., I repeat. 11 hours. Uh, I got together my broken token Gloomhaven box, the organizer. And it was a massive pain in the ass. I hate wood glue. Uh, that's someone who like has been doing Kingdom Death minis. Uh, my secret shame is that uh, most nights before I go to bed, I bust out my Kingdom Death minis and I... Uh, work on one and you know cement it all together and everything like that uh i hated putting together this thing but the end result is gorgeous the it, it, everything fits perfectly in the box and flush everything is it is within reach and organized so well uh the characters come in these little like you put everything that has to do with a character in this adorable little perfectly organized tray oh my god i the next time i come over i'm gonna bring gloomhaven my box of gloomhaven and I don't. I don't intend to play my campaign of Gloomhaven in front of you or with you, but I just want to bust out like how absolutely gorgeous and efficient this box is. Uh, this organizer Honestly, is. Our campaigns are on such divergent paths right now because the things that I have done in my Gloomhaven campaign are so absolutely stupid 
and insane that you would never have chosen them. So I would love to see what your campaign looks like at this point. Interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I spent all that time doing that uh, Gloom, Gloomhaven organizer. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, yes, yeah. So the the amount of hours that I've played Gloomhaven, like the, the like, even if you broke down not even being like a quarter of the way through the game and having like one out of whatever it is, seventeen, eighteen classes unlocked, um, the or it's eleven extra classes that are locked. So I have one unlocked. It's the ten more locked, um, and much, much more of the campaign to go. Uh, even if you broke down like a dollar to hour of my Gloomhaven, it would be really efficient as far as like anything else, uh, dollar to hour, like fun ratio would be like, I can't, I like it, Gloomhaven was the one that first made me feel like when I was originally buying that box, as you said, uh, if you're not really into this whole thing, then you hear something like $200 or whatever, or 160 or whatever you bought it for, for a board game. And suddenly it's and it's terrifying. It's like what? Why? Why would you do that? That's so expensive for a board game. I I know Monopoly. That's like twenty bucks, fifteen bucks. And then you see this, and you're like, the amount of hours and interesting stuff you could get through it. Um, that's what makes me change my opinion, kind of on more of the the board game prices. Like Kingdom Death is really interesting because I bought the core game for four hundred bucks, and uh, I spend you know like if you take the the time I've played it for like. 40 50 hours and then you take the time that i've enjoyed literally enjoyed uh building these minis that hobby aspect of like building the minis uh thinking about all this kind of stuff and putting all this kind of stuff together for my next uh lantern year in kingdom death uh it's like you know over 100 hours that i've spent uh doing things or building things for kingdom death and i've loved every minute of it so uh, it's it, and I I'm not even remotely near the ending of it. So like it's a it's it's actually like a really fantastic money to hour kind of thing because I'm just I'm it's filling a lot of my free time with a lot of joy. That's the deal with games, Ryan. This has been a long podcast. Yeah, but we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot to talk about. May the fourth be with you, Ryan. This May the fourth be with you. WTDG podcast. You can find us online at wtdgpodcast.com on twitter at wtdgpodcast or on itunes at what's the deal with games where you can rate comment and subscribe to the show thank you ryan gowling crying for the uc music we use the intro and outro revive off the new album beyond the fleeting gales you can find them at the room for cover Bandcamp, and also I- go kickstart black rose wars everybody else did it so you don't have to no still do it because i need to get those stretch goals Oh, by the way, gonna... oh, by the way, can I can I do a little nudge nudge? The uh, the stretch goal and additional uh, mages for Black Rose Wars are all references to different historical or interesting mages. I mean, not really historical, more pop culture mages. So, for example, there is a mage called Vivian that looks exactly like a female version of Vivi from Final Fantasy seven eight nine 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 um so it's a faceless mage with a gigantic uh dusty top hat kind of mage thing wearing the same like uh robes and using the same staff uh there is a stretch goal right now 
for uh uh I forget his name Dukas I believe which is a uh Mickey Mouse in the Sorcerer's Apprentice I believe uh style where it's this weird anthropomorphic goat man but they're wearing like that sorcerer hat and the red cape and have the Mickey Mouse ears um from that from Mickey Mouse and everything so like all the mages there that they're currently unlocking are different like send-ups to other like famous mages in pop culture what about a dumbledore uh there's a dumbledore there, there's there's a lot of stuff and there's there's more coming so it's really interesting to see that kind of stuff that go back black rose wars as long as chronomancy is unlocked chronomancy okay. is unlocked that's all that matters isn't it chronomancy has been unlocked for a while the character that will be tied to Chronomancy is going to be completely made up by the community uh, over time. Because they'll be... So, for example, the first question they posted was whether or not the Chronomancy character would be a human or mystic race. So the community voted overwhelmingly for mystic race. And then every Kickstarter update, they're going to ask another question about it, probably like gender and more look-wise. And slowly the community will decide uh, through different community polls on what the chronomancy character will be. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, James. Sorry, everybody else, for how uh, Kickstarter horny I got there. Go buy, go kickstart Black Rose Wars. I'm going to heat up some pizza and play Spy Party. I'm going to become pizza. for a send-off, we just don't have it yet. We just don't have it yet. <laughs>